welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host, our guest author, Carlo Broussard, and the book, The New Relativism, Unmasking the Philosophy of Today's Woke Moralist, published by our good friends over at Catholic Answers, and of course available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Great to see you again, Carlo. Doug, thanks for having me, People buddy. remember seeing you on with, with Father Mitch, kind of talking about the this same topic as, as well, and the new relativism. So, is so relativism is relativistic. I mean, how is what? How is is there an old one and a new one? What's well, the new one? Well, I don't know if there's like a old and a new, but mm. there's something new okay. about relativism within our culture. Okay. So the old relativism just. For starters, relativism, the philosophical worldview that says, hey, there is no absolute truth, mm -hmm. right? And there's different shapes and forms, comes in different varieties, but that's generally what it is. But the old relativism, one of the characteristics was that it was in your face. Mm -hmm. Everybody was a relativist, right? You have your truth, I have mine. That was the end result of any sort of conversation you tried to have. Right, right, right. Whereas in our culture today, relativism is not as blatant and in your face, it's hidden. And it's hidden behind modern moral absolutes that many within our culture have embraced. We live, some have claimed we live in a shame culture, right? Mm -hmm. And so you would think that within a shame culture where you say you can't be a white supremacist, you can't impose your beliefs, you can't be intolerant, you can't be a judgmental, hateful bigot, how in the world can you be a relativist right. and say those things? Right. So it would seem that that old relativism is dead. Well, and how can you be a relativist and believe in absolutism? Also, how can you deal with a shame culture when all the psychologists told you shame was the worst thing you should ever have, especially it was Catholic shame or Catholic guilt? Well, you see, that's the thing. You cannot be a relativist and have these moral absolutes, and that's what I point out in the book. I ex what I do is I take these moral absolutes within contemporary woke culture, mm -hmm. if we could use that label for the general umbrella, and I expose the relativism that's lurking behind these modern moral quote-unquote absolutes in order to show that relativism is really not dead, it's alive and well, and Doug, it's even more sinister bef than before because it's hidden, and it's lurking behind these absolutes mm -hmm. that, hey, let's face it, most people on face value if you take it according mm. to how every Joe Blow would accept it, be like, yeah, I don't want to be a white supremacist. But when you unspin the modern spin, mm -hmm. you find relativism lurking behind it. Well, and that's you, what's new about it. You talk about uh, the idea of coming off college campuses that that, that are awash now in this kind of moral judgment, yeah. which which we see rolling down in, in, in a world of constant moral indignation. So I wonder with some of these things is a lot of people didn't like the way the culture was. So they wanted it to be different. So they said, well, everything's relativistic. At the end of the day, really what they wanted was to impose the, their set of moral values on the culture. Right? And at the same time saying that if you criticize the lifestyle choices that we're promoting, right. you're imposing your belief and therefore shame on you. Right. In which case they're imposing their belief. So it's a double standard. Thy shall not impose, but yet they can impose, or as they would interpret that to mean, to persuade us of their belief. Mm -hmm. And so it is true, and that, Doug, is precisely the result of the old relativism. Mm -hmm. Because in the relativistic framework, there's no room for persuasion of mind, mm -hmm. because there's no reality for the mind to conform to. So what are you left with? The imposition of one's will, mm -hmm. and that's what we're facing in Contemporary you culture. say the particular book, you've divided the book into three parts, each corresponding to major types of relativism. 
total slash intellectual relativism? Why don't you explain what that is? Yeah, so philosophers talk about relativism on the global scale or a total relativism. And that's basically saying there is no truth whatsoever independent of what you or I or a group of people happens to think. Mm -hmm. it's, it's no matter what area we're talking about, truth is relative. Mm -hmm. In contrast to what philosophers will call a partial or local relativism, which says, hey, listen, I'll recognize objective truth in math and science, but when it comes to morality mm -hmm. or when it comes to religion, there's no absolute truth. So total relativism is the broader mm -hmm. uh, form of relativism that covers all areas of thought. The other two, you've got moral relativism and cultural relativism. Yeah. What's the difference between those two? Yeah, well, cultural relativism is just going to say their truth is dependent upon, rather than the individual, a group of individuals. Mm -hmm. And that could either be intellectual or moral. Mm -hmm. Moral relativism, as I stated, is saying, yes, I'll recognize some objective truth in other areas, but when it comes to human behavior, there's no absolute good or absolute bad human behavior. And that's how we would define moral, moral relativism. And you roll through it based on these 10 moral absolutes that you talk about. And each chapter you say uh, will be as follows. Identify the relative absolute in the culture, refute the relative absolute, and then provide a non-relative absolute, that is an absolute absolute, <laughs> uh, not to be redundant, uh, that we should all live by. And yeah. at the end you, you talk about, we live in a world where it says, shalt Thou shalt think and thou shalt be sane. That's what we need to be. That's what we're after. That's those, what we want to go. That's right. Those because, are the two absolutes. Well, because we're where to we are today is it's it's it really isn't. Uh, I think, therefore, I am. It's I feel, therefore, I am. Right? <laughs> you, there's a lot of truth to that right. because we are no longer driven by reason. Right. We have left reason at the doorstep, right? And most people in our modern culture are ultimately driven by emotion mm. and feelings, which is interesting because the very bigotry that some people will label Christians for being when we have critical critical analysis Race theory of or something, life, okay. whenever we criticize a particular lifestyle choice, mm, right, okay, and we right. say, hey, that's bad, that's immoral, we're labeled as bigot, right. when in fact, they're actually guilty of the very bigotry that they're claiming we'll Absolutely. we're guilty of because their criticism of us is not based on reason, it's often based on emotion. Right. And negative emotional response. In chapter one, thou shalt not be a white supremacist. It's amazing. I, I thought we were past a lot of this stuff, but apparently it's it, it's more out there than ever before. And it, it talks about the list of toxic characteristics that have to do with white supremacy. And you quote the famous story about the Smithsonian and the whole white culture, yeah. where these things are now considered problematic. Right. Things that we used to think were upheld as being positives, of course, by I guess the the white European, quote unquote, right. society, uh, Judeo-Christian, emphasis on the scientific method. I thought they loved science. It was always following the science over the last three that's years. Right. Objective, rational thinking. So that's out the window. Yep. Cause and effect relationships. Who cares whether yep. this does this if I'm not happy with what you say? And quantitative emphasis. What do you mean quantitative emphasis? Yeah, that would be within the scientific domain mm -hmm. of emphasizing uh, quantity and uh, the scientific method, right, mm -hmm. and measurements and stuff. So as it's often, it's said elsewhere in like an equitable math instruction that I cite in that mm -hmm. chapter, there are no right and wrong answers, whether it's within the scientific domain or outside of the scientific domain, say in philosophy. Objectivity within critical race theory is, according to Robin DiAngelo, a popular voice for oh, yes. critical race theory in her book, White Fragility, right, right. objectivity is the ideologue of racism. So Doug, 
for us to affirm objective truth, for Jesus to say, I am the truth, he's guilty of white supremacy. Apparently, even though he was from the Middle East. Uh, <laughs> and chapter two, thou shalt not impose. Well, it seems like there was a lot of people trying to impose a lot of things here, so how does that play? Yeah, so what's interesting is when you unspin that in modern culture, what is meant is minds off. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to persuade other people about what you believe. And now what's interesting about that is that in saying that and in issuing that command, you're trying to persuade me to adopt your Absolutely. lifestyle choice, right? Absolutely. So it's a double standard. I can't persuade, but, but, but they can. But often what's driving that is, Doug, Doug, is this fear that if we try and persuade others to adopt our belief system or our view of reality, it's going to lead to conflict and violence and cause division. Mm -hmm. And we and I deal with that in that particular chapter and say, hey, listen, it's not the persuasion to truth itself that's the problem. Mm -hmm. It's the the person who's wielding the sword. It's not the sword. It's the it's the person wielding the sword. So it's a perversion often of a desire to persuade to the truth that leads to conflict and violence. Someone who's not keeping within the boundaries of justice, say. Well, there's a quote in here, and it has to do with something else, but I thought this it's jumped out on me, because the real question is, why do other people have to act in a certain way for you to feel satisfied? And, and that's the interesting thing. We move from a world where people say, well, I want to be able to do what I want, and it shouldn't bother you at all. And a lot of people said, okay, well, I guess maybe you can do what you want to do. That was the old relativism. That was the old relativism. Then we suddenly went to the fact that not only am I to be tolerated, I'm, I'm to be anointed, I'm to be celebrated, right. and in, in such a way that you have to, in effect, affirm Correct. this behavior now. And if you do not affirm right. the behavior that I'm engaging in, then you're judgmental, hateful, bigoted. And you're a bigot, bigot. right, yeah. right. They're very good at that. Uh, you say another inconsistency with this absolute is that it usually selectively applied to things like religious beliefs or morals right. and hardly ever held up as a standard for a living <laughs> when it comes to science. Yeah, for yeah so right. if we unspin this modern absolute to mean we can't go around persuading other people to believe what we believe, could you imagine a student in his physics class raising his hand whenever the professor's up there <laughs> on the board and say, well, excuse me, Dr. So-and-so, who are you to try and persuade me of the truth value of this scientific equation that you're putting up on the board or this view of reality? So what we find is very uh, arbitrary standard that the thou shall not impose mm -hmm. only applies to religious issues, moral issues, but when it comes to science, right. at least in some areas of science, right. the, the, the moral command is no longer abided by. Thou shalt not say he or she, and of yes, course this, this is, is a the, big one. the insanity of, of pronouns, and you talk about how individuals perceive themselves and what they call themselves. Planned Parenthood defines it as how you feel inside and how you express those feelings. That's what's really important. That's right. So that's the definition of gender identity. So right. gender identity is one's inner sense or feeling, a self-perception of whether they are man or woman. Now, you might think, some have argued that this is not relativism because what's more objective and real than a person discovering, hey, I got this feeling, right? right. They didn't choose. Some people haven't chosen, at least from what we can tell, they mm -hmm. haven't chosen that they feel of being a man and a woman. But where the relativism comes into play, Doug, is where the individual makes a judgment that this feeling I have mm -hmm. is of the kind being a man or a woman, and thereby making a, the reality of what a man or a woman is relative to the individual's judgment.
Right. And if the reality of what a man and a woman is can be relative to the individual's judgment, well then it's a blank check. Because the reality of age, the reality of bodily conditioning, the reality of species comes, uh, mm -hmm. can be filled in by whatever the individual judges. And so if you give relativism an inch in the door, it's not only going to rip the door down, it's going to tear down the whole right. house. Well, then the, the, everything is just moving sands. It's like building your true. house on sand. I mean, yes. there's no, there's because no support. If, because if, if, if the reality of what a man and woman is dependent on, upon an inner sense or feeling, well, then I could possibly judge an inner sense or feeling to be whatever. Well, and you're also dealing check. with people who apparently have inner sense or feelings that are, that are on a continuum. That is correct. That are constantly moving back and forth. Somebody so. might have the inner sense or feeling of being a man at one point in his life and then later in the life have an inner sense or feeling of being a woman or right. somewhere in between, as they say. Uh, so there is a problem even there because for many within the LGBTQ mm -hmm. plus community, right. this inner sense or feeling is innate and fixed and immutable. So if you, f if you adopt that view, you're gonna thereby exclude right. other people's views within contemporary gender ideology and thereby violate the all holy absolute of thy shall be tolerant, right? Right, right? It violates the principle of tolerance, at least how they define tolerance within modern culture, namely everybody's lifestyle choices are equal and valid and none is more right than the other. But you go back to that same thing, which is says, well, maybe that's fine. You, you, that's how you feel about your situation and you're that way. Why is it so important that I have to deal with you accepting so, right. how you decided to view yourself? Well, what's driving that is this fundamental desire to want to be loved mm -hmm. and cared for. And this, Doug, is why many people, whenever we offer criticism to these sorts of lifestyle choices, we're perceived as being hateful mm -hmm. or having ill will towards them as a person precisely because their behavior and their lifestyle choices have collapsed into their very personhood or right. identity. That's how they totally identify themselves. And Everything's wrapped in that's that. Right. And that's the result of moral relativism because mm -hmm. behavior is no longer a target to be subject for criticism, so all that's left is the person. Mm -hmm. So our honest saying, hey, that's a not good behavior for you, right. that's taken as an attack against the person. That's the wicked offspring of moral relativism. You talk about the fact that there's a psychological disorder recognized within the medical community called species identity disorder. Yeah. What is that? So I, uh, I recount uh, an instance of one young woman from Norway mm -hmm. who thinks she is a cat. Oh, it's one of those. That, okay, right, a cat uh, in a, trapped in a, of a cat in a human body, right? right. So she th has this inner sense or feeling of being cat, a cat, and thereby tries at, to her best ability to live her life according to that inner like sense of feeling, right. And so you can watch it online, they interviewed her and stuff. And so what we see there is the logical entailment of contemporary gender ideology. If the reality of a man or a woman can be dependent on an inner sense or feeling and the judgment of the individual that that inner sense or feeling is of the kind being man or woman, then so too one can have the inner sense or feeling of being a cat, making the judgment this is a feeling of being a cat and therefore you have a reality of being cat dependent on the individual's judgment. And that's relativism. Right. And you also get, uh, and you t deal a little bit with it, with certain cases where people who were identifying as being black who turned out not to be black, that's, but that's still right. insisted, well, 
but I identify that way. That's right. And the individual recognizes the same line of reasoning. Mm -hmm. The very logic embedded within contemporary gender ideology is the same logic that this individual, as I point out in the book, adopts in order to justify her inner sense or feeling mm -hmm. of be being a black person. Mm -hmm. And so she changes her visible form in order to conform to that inner sense or feeling, that racial identity. Right. Inner is, racial identity. How does Cartesian dualism fit into this? I mean, Ghost in the Machine was a very good album by the police, but it also was a concept there. And in fact, it's actually, if you listen to the lyrics in that particular album, he is talking about these particular issues. But that concept, why is, why is that dualism so impactful into what we're talking about today. Yeah, this isn't the topic here, mm. Doug, but just in brief, Cartesian dualism is a view of the human person coming from Rene Descartes, right, mm. French, French philosopher, I think 17th century, if my memory serves me correctly there, who stated that within us as a human being, there are two substances, the body and the soul, not one substance where the body and soul are joined. And so the body is accidental to the individual's essential identity of the individual. Mm -hmm. And so as I point out, I remember one philosopher put it like this, the body becomes Peter Pan's Neverland, mm -hmm. right? Okay. His Neverland playground to where the body can be changed, the body can be manipulated, and it have no bearing on the individual's identity. So that's what contemporary gender ideology is rooted in. Mm -hmm. it, if Cartesian dualism is true, right, then, then if uh, contemporary gender ideology follows that. Right. So the, I, what I put, propose in the book is that if we can prove Cartesian dualism is false, then transgenderism is false. And then you can, because in, in a sense, misuse your body or do whatever you want with your body because at the end of the day, that's not who your soul is. That's right. There's the, the, the body has no bearing on who you are mm -hmm. and thereby no bearing on your moral character. Right, and so the Cartesian dualism divorces the person, separates the person in these two substances, right. and so the body can be manipulated as such. But that's that's a problem that runs through many of our modern eras, from contraception to abortion mm -hmm. to um, same-sex sexual activity and sexual ethics, and as well as contemporary gender ideology. Well, you you bring up the in the thou shalt not say he or she. The famous, uh, you know, when when Martha Blackburn, the uh, senator, asked right. uh, uh, Ketanji Jackson, uh, who was then being approved for the Supreme Court and now is, can you provide a definition of the word woman? And she said, No, I can't do that because I'm I'm not a biologist. Well, she just sold the form there, yeah. right? Because right. within contemporary gender ideology, you cannot appeal to biology in order yeah, to determine they're not, what they'll a say. Woman well, biology has is. nothing to do with that's it. That's right. right. So she actually sold the form there, the implication being if she were a biologist, she would be able to determine that. But what I point out in the book, Doug, is that the definition or contemporary gender ideology has a problem defining a woman. It's circular because it, to the question, what is a woman, contemporary gender ideology states someone who has the inner sense or feeling of being a woman. Mm -hmm. Well, wait a minute, you can't define a term in terms of that term, right? because that's what we're asking from the very outset, what is a woman? And so there's some circular reasoning problems going on in the very definition of a woman, and that's at the heart. <laughs> this intellectual co incoherency is at the heart of contemporary gender ideology. Yeah, it strikes me sometimes in listening to these people talk about 
there's again I was called mother's misguided compassion there were people good people out there who were trying to say well you need to affirm this part this is how they feel because it's all designed where it's going to be better for them if we just affirm them where many times in the past you know a woman who thinks she's a cat the first thing we would do is think I think she needs to go see right. get some help and we got to figure out, is there something chemically wrong with her brain? Uh, is there some psychological impact here? Yeah. Well, certainly before we give her a bowl of milk, we should be going through that to make sure that there's not other reasons behind this, right? Yes, and see, here's the problem. If we follow that logic, Doug, and affirm people in these lifestyle choices, right. we would be affirming them and behaving in a way that violates their dignity as a rational animal, as a mm -hmm. human being. Mm -hmm. And because we recognize these lifestyle choices as being contrary to their good, it would be the antithesis of love. It would be opposite of love to affirm them and celebrate them in these lifestyle choices. So the reason why we're critical mm -hmm. of these lifestyle choices, especially for us as Christians, but even just a right-thinking person by using moral philosophy, they could come to the conclusion, no, this is actually a loving action mm -hmm. to try and persuade them away from these lifestyle choices because they're contrary to their good. And what's the essence of love? Mm -hmm. But to will the good of the other and to do what you can to try to help that person experience the good. Well, you've gotten in part three cultural relativism, thou shalt not coerce, but they're coercing all over the place. <laughs> yeah, that is true. So there is a double standard, right? right? But what's going on here is I'm looking at a moral principle that some people live by that as long as two people consent to an action, mm -hmm. it's morally okay. So it's not complete moral relativism mm -hmm. because they at least have a moral principle as long as two people consent. But what I point out in that chapter is that that's not a sufficient criterion for determining what morality, what are moral good and bad human behaviors. But I guess the question too is even in dealing with schools and, and a lot of that became a bit, uh, obvious during COVID, what was being taught in that and then parents want to get involved and there really is this idea of well we're going to keep from the parents what's going on. Yeah. We're going to coerce the kids and keep the parents out of the way because we know better. Right, so there is a legitimate uh, coercion that's being going that's going on there in excluding the parent from exercising their rightful duty of oversight of right. the child's education, which you're supposed to be using the school as a help tool, mm -hmm. right? As a helpmate, as an instrument to help them form the child. Uh, but this is an outright an outright attack on the rightful duty of the parent, and thus an injustice to the parent, and thereby an injustice to the child as well. In the chapter 9, thou shalt not misinform, uh, it seems to be that, you know, any information that runs contrary to the, the individual's belief system is again then rejected, right? Yeah, so what I'm pointing out in that chapter is trying to fit it within this cultural relativism mm -hmm. which states that truth is dependent upon a particular group of individuals. Mm -hmm. And what we're experiencing in our culture, Doug, is that whenever you have the cultural elites, the powers that be, who are behind the cultural narrative and mm -hmm. the common consensus of what a particular viewpoint is, any opposition, any critical opposition to that worldview is shut down mm -hmm. in the name of misinformation. No opposing right. view is allowed. It's completely off the table. And how does this relate to cultural relativism? Precisely because the truth becomes dependent upon that particular group of individuals. 
and no alternative explanation is allowed. That's the wicked offspring of relativism because in relativism, persuasion of the mind is not allowed. Well, and only conflict of wills It's remains. interesting because we, we, we just went through the scientific method here where we had all of this stuff supposedly was misinformation about COVID issues right. and maybe about the laptop and other things in the sure. election, whatever. Now it turns out if you really read the science and you look what really comes out, all this stuff wasn't misinformation. It was but true. But yet the same people reject that information now and still hang on to it. It goes back to the old Abe Lincoln. It's easier to fool people than convince them they've been fooled. Yeah, so what we have here, yet again, as I point out in the book, this common thread running through all these woke mm -hmm. moral absolutes is the double standard. Right. We are told that we cannot misinform, but it turns out they were misinforming. And rather than acknowledging And became that, misinformed. That's right. And don't acknowledge it now. Correct. Rather than acknowledging it and like saying, hey, we were wrong, doubling down, which is hinting at relativism. Because in relativism, you can't be wrong. Right. You only have your own. And that's why they view. fall back uh, on the ad hominem attack. You're right. a bigot, you're a racist, you're a homo, whatever you happen to be. Because in this cultural framework, there's no objective reality for our minds right. to be to persuaded to. And because what you're telling me is running contrary, to, and I have no explanation for it, so it must be this. That's right, because the you. minute you rip reason out from the foundation of your viewpoint, mm -hmm. of your proposition, whatever you're promoting, mm -hmm. all you're left with is to have the louder voice or the stronger will. So another book on in the works, or? Yes, I am. I'm actually, I was writing it before I came on the show today. <laughs> okay. You're not going to give us a hint on the topic, huh? Yeah, the topic is on the intercession and invocation of the saints. Okay. So, and that'll be coming through Catholic Answers Press, so we're in the works on that Sounds one. Sounds like a pretty Catholic book. Indeed uh, Make it sure is. you stop by the next time. Okay, Thank Carl, you, great to see you again. God bless you. And the book is The New Relativism, and Unmasking the Philosophy of Today's Woke Moralists. They're all over the place. Check this book out. It's available through our EWTN Religious Catalog. EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. I'm Doug Keck. We'll see you next time right here on Bookmark.